So today we're going to be looking at lessons from a tree. Kind of a strange title, but the whole story is strange. If you think about it from a, a man-made perspective, it's extremely strange. And um, when I went through it and I went through the book, um, I noticed that the story just keeps going and there's a lot of int um, interruptions in, in the lesson itself as far as taking you off on things that you need to look up for your own um, for your own help and guidance. For example, the section on the Holy Spirit and some of the other things. When we go over it today, I want to take the story and the dream and kind of concentrate on that. Um, I've marked where in your book there are questions and if you need to refer for, to them, I think you can probably just follow along as I'm teaching and, and um, if I can, as much as I can, I can kind of let you know it's on page such, such and such. But everything... Um, that we are covering here has so much perspective for us as far as the life and the times that we're living in. Um, it has to do with, with how God views man living on, on the earth at this time. So it's relevant for us, especially for how we live our lives, because God's looking at Nebuchadnezzar in this dream, and he's saying things aren't right. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll take a look at his dream and how it applies to us. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for these stories from the Old Testament. We thank you for the men and women that you point out to us as examples to follow or not to follow. And Lord, we pray that we'll hear your word, we'll, we'll hear it speak to our hearts, and teach us from it today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when I um, titled this story, I titled it Heaven, Heaven Rules. It is really about the sovereignty of God and how man ignores the sovereignty of God. So when we talk about God being sovereign, when you hear that word, what do you think of? <clears throat> if God is sovereign, what does it mean? Yes. Ultimately in control of everything. Ultimately in control of everything. <clears throat> and man does not like that. Man is made in the image and likeness of God and wants to take control. Part of that comes from how we're created. We are created in the likeness and image of God, and his nature is to be over all. But he calls us to be in submission to him so that he not only controls the universe, the things that we see and don't see, but he asks us to allow him to control us. To be man needs to agree to be in submission to God. And that's where Nebuchadnezzar had problems. He wasn't sure he agreed with God's analysis of that. He was a very proud man, and he himself believed that he was a God. We studied last week or the week before about the statue that he had made for himself and called on his people to worship him. He himself really saw himself in a position of authority 
as king of kings. And, and Daniel even alludes to that in the first chapter that we studied. So today when we look at this, we're going to be looking at how God views Nebuchadnezzar and how he wants to change him. And we see in this story that Nebuchadnezzar is a proud king. Now, in your books, um, page 41, there's a, a little sidebar that talks about Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And um, I think, let's just take a minute and I'm going to read it. Um, my Bible's got a little bit of bigger print than that, but your sidebar on, on page 41, where it says memorize this, there are six things that the Lord hates. He hates seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. So these are the things that God is not pleased with, and he starts out with haughty or proud eyes. Now, how would you define proud eyes? Do you have proud eyes? What do you think that means? You're full of yourself. You're full of yourself. Sandy. Someone who's arrogant and looks down on others. Looking down on others, and when you look around you, you say, well, I am certainly better than they are. I'm looking down on you. And that's how Nebuchadnezzar was. And so throughout the book of Daniel, God has dealt with him on that very thing to try to get him to submit himself to God. This dream is no different. This dream is aimed specifically at his pride. And he had a lot, <clears throat> from a worldly standpoint, he had a lot to be proud of. I mean, he was, in, in the first chapter, um, or chapter two, Daniel says, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you are king of kings over all the known world because he was prominent in everything. But not only that, he was the king of Babylon. Babylon is situated on the Tigris and Euphrates River, and it was a lush, beautiful place in the middle of desert lands. And he had made it beautiful with his slave labor. The, the palace was covered with gold, <coughs> with gold leaf. In other words, it, it was shining and beautiful. And, and we've talked before about, if you read about Babylon, the history of Babylon is that it was a beautiful city, a powerful city, a place that people wanted to be a part of. And so he really was a talented, intelligent man, but to the point that it overrode everything else and God meant absolutely nothing to him. He did not need God. He didn't know God, didn't want to know God. I am in myself, I'm adequate and more than adequate. So um, what we're going to be looking at today is the pride in his life and what God does to deal with it. And so <clears throat> we're going to start off with the dream in chapter four, verses one through eight. 
And I'm going to have, I'm going to read part of this and part of it I'm going to have you look at and then we'll talk about some questions that I have. But when we start out, Nebuchadnezzar himself is speaking. And I want you to think about this. This is his dream and in his words recorded in the Bible. Daniel heard it and recorded it. But isn't that amazing? This is like his own testimony of what happened. And we're reading about this ancient king who's saying, this happened to me. So he starts out and he says to all people, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Now these verses would fit real well at the end of this chapter, after he's gone through some things. But he says, um, the Most High God has performed for me how great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And then he starts to recount the dream. We'll come back and talk about this a little bit later. But I want you to think through all of this. This sounds wonderful. And we're going to talk about whether or not Nebuchadnezzar actually acknowledged and came to, to know God. We'll talk about that at the end of the lesson. And we'll, we'll see what you think. So this is the retelling of his dream. I'm going to read it. I'm, I'm sure you've read it. But I want you to read it um, as I read. And I want you to think about why this dream would be so terrifying to him. Because he uses that word. It was terrifying to him. Now, he had other dreams, but he doesn't use the word terrifying. This one scares the daylights out of him. Okay? This is more than a bologna sandwich at night, okay, before bed. Okay? This is a big one. So, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace. I was contented and prosperous. Good times. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon come before me to interpret the dream. And when they came, I'm going to skip some of this, they couldn't interpret it for him. And so um, finally, Daniel came into his presence and he told Daniel the dream. So we get down to verse 9. Now I want you to think about this as we read. What about this dream would be so terrifying? I, Belt I said, Belteshazzar, chief of magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream. Interpret it for me. <clears throat> <clears throat> These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were abundant and beautiful. Its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. 
not too frightening at that point, is it? Sounds pretty good. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground and in the grass of the field. And then this whole little thing takes a shift, okay? Not too bad up to this point, is it? But what it, the next part would get me, let him, all of a sudden it shifts from let it to let him. We're talking about a tree and we're talking about it being cut down to the ground and, and um, let it be stripped. Well, it's a tree. Fine with me, except here we go and notice the shift. It says, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times or seven years pass by him. The decision is announced by the messengers Notice it's a plural. The one up above is singular. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of men. This is the dream Nebuchadnezzar had. So what's so scary about all that? Terrifying. It's a dream, right? What would frighten him beyond words? And wondering what the what the tree represents. What does the tree represent? It was him. <laughs> That's right. We find that out. Yes. Maybe he was feeling some kind of conviction that what he had, how he had been acting, had been unrighteous in some way. I think that's what terrified him. I mean. This is a dream like unlike any he had ever had. And he wasn't a foolish man, loved himself, but this dream was different from anything. And the fact that it shifts from let that tree be cut down to let him be turned out and let him live with the animals, let him be drenched with the dew, suddenly shifts it from the focus of the tree to a human being. Yes. It's like a verdict was set, you know, to be in the presence of the watchers. You know, I mean, that's got to be terrifying in itself <laughs> because those are holy ones. I mean, those are... That's right. You know, so how often do you dream? Think about capacity? that. It was bad enough when one watcher came down. The first one is a messenger yeah. and a holy watcher, one other. But when we get to the verdict, the verdict is announced by <clears throat> watchers. Under the watchful eye of a holy God, multiple watchers, multiple beings, and I would be scared. <laughs> yes. See, when I read that and said watchers, I was just thinking God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but you're saying that there were multiple. If you read it, it says the decision is announced by messengers, the holy ones 
declare the verdict. So some versions are saying watchers and, and messengers. Some are saying watchers and messengers, and some are saying holy ones. But basically, these are angelic beings. <coughs> if it is God the Father, that's something that he is in charge of. But the messengers are specifically mentioned and being sent to tell him. Yes. I, I wondered if his terror had something to do with also he's seen what God can do. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so even though he wants to believe that he's the most high, mm -hmm. he knows. See, There's we, something in his brain that's What saying. we need to understand here is that throughout every single part of this and every single vision that he has had, God has been speaking to Nebuchadnezzar's heart. We're going to be talking about that. God is not willing that any should perish, including... Good old King Nebuchadnezzar. Johnny. And you know, he doesn't really describe the watchers or no. the holy ones, but he saw them in his dreams. So mm -hmm. what he's seeing, we're not really getting. We're not seeing. Right. We're not really getting. Right. But what he yeah. saw were yeah. visions from heaven. And that's what that's really all you need to think of. Mm -hmm. You don't need to try to describe them. You don't need to see them as angels with big wings. No. None of that. No. But holy ones of God over him, hovering, convicting. Mm -hmm. I want you to think about this because this is an evil king. And God is speaking to his heart. Okay? Because I want you to get the picture of a holy God and him caring for the <clears throat> worst of us. Because he does. Okay, so the verdict is announced. And then he goes on and he goes to Daniel. Because he needs someone to tell him what that dream means. Now, you've read um, most of this. Have, have all of you read this through? I can, we can go through it again. But I want you just to go over that interpretation that Daniel gives. And let's talk about what you see as the main parts of that interpretation. From verses 19, um, let's go all the way through down to 27. But take it, let's take it from the top down. Don't give me the bottom ones first. What do you see as the most startling things to you in that interpretation? Look at verse 22. It is you. It is you. You are that tree. This is like when um, Dan, David sinned and Nathan the prophet had to go to him and say, David, you are the man. You are the one that I have found guilty. So here we have Daniel in exile, a believer in an unbelieving land, talking to a king who is able to take his life at any instance. And he says to him, O king, you are that tree. Now, why would that tree be a fitting symbol of Nebuchadnezzar? Yes. Because his kingdom was wealthy. I mean, he really did. They were known. His kingdom stretched. I mean, they had abundance. It was an abundant kingdom, blessed, really. 
with beautiful things. People who were not enemies of Nebuchadnezzar worshiped that. They wanted to have a part of it. He was a wealthy king, a wide-reaching kingdom. Okay, you are that tree. And he did obviously some good things. The beasts were sheltered under that tree. The birds of the air fed on that tree. It was a wealthy, healthy society, much better. Okay, you're that tree. So what's the next significant thing that you see in this? Take it from there and go down and tell me what you see next. It's significant. Interpretation. You're going to look at the tree. What's ha what happens to the tree? Cut it down. Cut it down. Nebuchadnezzar, you are that tree. Something's going to happen. Okay? Cut down that tree. Okay? I, I noticed that it said you're going to or in bound with iron and bronze, and it made me think of that statue mm -hmm. and the ages, you know, the bronze. And, and that's part of what that is. That tree is bound with iron and bronze, and it does refer to those those other um, kingdoms that are going to come in and take over. But his stump, the stump is still there as a promise that he himself will be restored after, after all of this occurs. So um, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump. And then we get down to about verse 24, and he gives... Uh, a more specific interpretation. So if you read down, um, okay, under that, where it's with a stump, the tree is cut down, it says, let him be drenched with the dew of the heavens, let him be like the animals. Then the interpretation of all of that starts in verse 24. What do you find out? What happens next? He's going to be driven away from people. What? He's driven away from people, but with the wild animals. He's going to be driven away from people, and he himself is going to be living like an animal. Now, again, in your books, um, the writer gives you a little bit of a hint on page 44 up in the sidebar. And she says, physically, he became like the beasts that he imagined himself to be. And um, there is a disease called zoanthropy, I think, zoanthropy, where men become animal-like and a mental illness accompanying it that psychologists apparently have determined that there are, when you hear about the wolf man, um, in about three of the commentaries, it talks about that being an actual condition that, um, Men become animal-like and behave like animals. Well, we know that they can do that on their own, but men can become, men and women can become animal-like in their behavior and their minds. They basically lose their minds, and that's what's happening. Um, one of the things that I thought about, and I'm, I'm doing a study on the tabernacle right now mm -hmm. and how the inner sanctuary is gold, and yeah. then it goes from silver and then to bronze. And it's so interesting, the bronze is where the animal was sacrificed, mm -hmm. and that represents sin and how he's bound with bronze. I just find that, that is, I mean, that's just interesting. I just that's I a, haven't studied it. But that's a, that's a really good thing to bring up because he was, um, that stump was bound with, with bronze. So from Daniel, um, again, from his interpretation, what else do we learn about him from 20, from verse 24 on down to the end of 
um, 27. Okay, for seven years he will be in an animal type of state, a state. State of mind, his sense his mind will be that of an animal. His body takes on animal characteristics just from living as he did, outdoors and haircuts and fingernail cuts, all of those things don't happen to him and he lives alone. Okay, like an animal. So what else goes on for seven years? And then um, the command, it says in verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored. And at what point will his kingdom be restored? Look down at verse 26. When he acknowledges that God. When he acknowledges that the Lord God is sovereign and that heaven rules. When he comes to that point where he is willing to announce that heaven rules. And then I want you to look at Daniel because um, Daniel's behavior here is worth talking about also. So we have the, we have the king wandering around helpless, really, and not in his right mind, not in his right physical state but comes to finally comes to recognize that God is on the throne. But on, um, in verse 27, Daniel gives him a piece of advice. And what does he say to him? Up until now, he's given him an interpretation. This is what's going to happen to you. But look at verse 27. Listen, O king, you gotta hear me here. Renounce your sins. Renounce your sins. Yeah. Repent of them. Renounce your behavior. Um, renounce your sins by doing what is righteous. Renounce your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. Now, in his kingdom, many were oppressed. And then it may be that your prosperity will continue. So Daniel gives him a warning, speaks to him very boldly, and tells him that you still have a chance, and that the condition of your heart is really important because that's what God is looking at. Now, um, I wanted to have you take your Bibles and turn over to 2 Peter 3, because I want you to see how very careful God is with each one of us. In 2 Peter 3, actually starting in verse 4, Peter gives a warning to the people of his day, actually to the believers of his day, and to those who do not know the Lord. But here's what it says in verse 4. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? This is people scoffing, really, at God's word the world around us scoffing. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has been since the beginning of the world. So what is God talking about? But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. 
By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Here's a warning in the New Testament given to us about the condition of this world and the people living in it. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, you don't have to worry about when he's going to come and why is he waiting so long. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. What he says is going to happen. And that's basically what Daniel is saying to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? What he's saying is going to happen. You have an opportunity here to make a different decision than the one you end up making. Okay? He's saying, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. But he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. And then it goes on. These are verses you probably know well. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And Peter goes on to tell us how we are to live. That's exactly what Daniel does back here. He says, listen, you still have an opportunity. Renounce your sin. Turn your heart to God rather than to yourself. So let's go on in verse 28. I want you again to scan this and tell me, because I know that you've read it. <clears throat> um, let's go from 28 through 34, okay? <clears throat> he has this great opportunity, and what happens to him? What's the first thing that happens to him? He's out walking on his beautiful palace walls. So it was 12, 12, months months later. 12 months later. What did I say? Yeah. <laughs> 12 months later, what happens? He has a very short memory. Mm -hmm. And what does he say? Looking with pride at all house. What? He's proud of all of your house. He sure is. Right. He says, isn't this the great Babylon that I've built? Wow, just look at it. Yes. Isn't this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and the glory of my majesty? I am it. I am the reason for everything good in my life. I am Lord of all. Bingo. <laughs> what happens next? Just finishes speaking. And? While the words were still in his yeah. mouth. While the words were still in his mouth. A voice from heaven. A voice from heaven speaks. Mm -hmm. And this is what is decreed for you. Just exactly what God told him before in his dream. I think it's interesting he calls him King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he's still calling him into that position that he wants him mm -hmm. to operate in. Because you could just say Nebuchadnezzar. Right. But he calls him out into that position. He does. He sees him as King Nebuchadnezzar, and he does not take his throne away. He even leaves the stump. 
But here is God exercising his authority over man. But not ungraciously, Michelle. Well, one thing <clears throat> I'm thinking is like God gave him a chance 12 months yeah, later. Like right. there's, there's, mm -hmm. there's a merciful God there, you know, just like with the, Bab or the, um, the Jewish, you know, mm -hmm. like a chance. He warns first. And that's that's why I, I read that portion in Second Peter also. The warning is there. God is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But he's long-suffering to us, so he gave Nebuchadnezzar time to repent. Sandy? But in that time, Nebuchadnezzar had a false sense of security because it didn't, he wasn't zapped immediately, so he probably figured it wasn't going to happen. Well, because he was Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> God surely wouldn't do that to the king. But we are no different. How many times have people that you know been told that the Lord is God and that he is going to come again and to take those that he knows unto himself, but the rest of them will not have that privilege? How many times have you, since you were a little kid, sat in Bible school or in Sunday school and heard that Jesus is coming back and that there'll be a time of judgment? We're in that time. We're in that time yet when God still gives us an opportunity. But the time is, is getting shorter. And if you read the Bible, you find out just from looking at the pages that we're involved in now, that some of the things that we thought were a long time off are right here with us. So Nebuchadnezzar is given an opportunity to repent, but he has to suffer the consequences here. And God is still holding out mercy for him. He didn't say, Nebuchadnezzar, if you don't obey me, I'm going to zap you. But I, I want you to turn to me and acknowledge me. And when you do that, then I will lift this from you. So what he says, um, let me go down and read verse 31, and I'll read down a ways here. The words were still on his lips when this voice came from heaven, and this is what is decreed. King Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken away from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like cattle. Seven times or years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. And this is Nebuchadnezzar talking in this part. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Lord, the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. And he goes on. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. And no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? 
And at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and all those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now, I'm going to have you take a look at your books on page, at the end of the chapter, because we want to spend some time. Page 53. No, wrong chapter. Yes. How about page 47? Number 19. So, I hope you've done this. This is kind of an interesting part of it. Trace the king's responses to God's work in his life in the following verses. How does his concept of God change as time progresses? And where do you think he stands spiritually at the end of chapter 4? Support your answer. <coughs> scholars disagree over whether or not the king actually came to faith. So I need you scholars <laughs> to tell me what you think. <laughs> Did you trace it? Well, Johnny. The thing is, um, <laughs> he, he says that God is above all other gods, but he hasn't really, kind of, he hasn't really gotten rid of the other gods. They're still in the picture. So he's giving God, you know, glory, glory, but he's also kind of hanging on to those other gods, I think. Anybody yeah. else? Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. I was trying to, I was trying to pull in for him to, <laughs> to say that he had come to the Lord, but there was just still some hubris in what he's saying here about I was restored to my throne and made even greater than I was before, you know. And and he, you know, he says, "I I exalt and glorify the King of Heaven." He doesn't say he's my king. Okay. Yes. I, mean, I was going to say kind of something similar, at least at the end of what you just said. But you do you do see his language change over the time period because at first it's he's referring to Daniel's God and Shadrach, mm -hmm. Meshach. Bendigo's God, and then it becomes kind of his God above all the other right. gods. And I don't know, you don't necessarily see him referring to the other gods here, but he's still not claiming him as his own God. Good job. Did you did you did you hear what she said? He starts out and it's other gods. And he he does seem to grow little by little. Let me hear some more. You guys are doing great. <clears throat> Jan. Life-shaping, earth-shattering lessons seem to really sink in. You said the earth-shattering, sinking lessons. Say it again. I mean, the, the whole series of events mm -hmm. that he has seen so far, and yet he still is set up for judgment mm -hmm. at his dream in chapter 4. Mm -hmm. It's just not sinking in. Up to 4, it hasn't sunk in at all. Mm-hmm. At the end of four, anybody have any other comments? I have a question. Yep. And 
There's two in chapter four. He says, it's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That seems a little self-serving or self-centered. <laughs> Am I just interpreting it too literally? No, I think I think it really is for him, and he sees it. He sees it as for him. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't see that as self-serving. I see it as he's taking it as for himself. Um, but maybe not because he's better than anybody. Okay, like that's we the, say God did this for me, or he's, he worked this for me mm -hmm. to make a change in my life. Right. So if I see that God is working for me, I'm talking personally, right? But I didn't take it as a prideful thing. I took right. it as like I would give my testimony. Yeah. This is what the Lord's done for yeah. me. So... Uh, is he, yes, but I was going to say what I picked out was in verse 36, it said, at the same time, my reason returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. Mm -hmm. Not sure he learned something there. <laughs> <laughs> Laura. By the end of chapter 4, he's using the word he. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I bless the most high. I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. And he hadn't been doing that anywhere else. He uses the word I and does say, I praise the Lord God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Sandy. There's a difference between mental assent and pledging your allegiance to <laughs> So, anybody else? Because we've got to end this. <laughs> what do you think? Yes. Daniel warned him to repent and do things differently, mm -hmm. like, you know, be kind and everything. So I feel like if he was fully different, he would have probably mentioned that I will do things differently this time. Good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Did you hear? He Daniel suggested that he begin to behave differently and even then speak differently. Um, truthfully, I, I agree with... I think we cannot make that decision. I think most of us feel that he's he's close, but maybe he's not there yet. But but that is a decision that we have to honestly leave with God. And I, I read that and I thought that's a really good thing for us to be thinking about because his answers do grow in in how he feels. But I tend to agree that we don't, and maybe maybe if life went on and we had more information about him, we'd see a different Nebuchadnezzar. But at this point, I don't think it's our decision to make. Yeah, so Johnny. Does, does he come up anywhere else, you know, in After, the Bible? Oh, he's pretty much himself because the next thing we read about is his son. Yeah, we, he, he kind of disappears fast after this. Okay, okay, one more, and then we'll go to tables. I think it's really interesting, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar aside, it's the kingdom is watching this, too. You have his whole kingdom, this great, mighty kingdom is watching a king who they put so much, you know, esteem into, completely departing, going wild out of his mind, growing yeah. either eagle feathers on his head and talons on his fingers. I mean, if you cross this guy in the wilderness, I mean, can you imagine the sight? I think it's... To, to have his own testimony is one thing, but the testimony of the kingdom is just another complete thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think you can have one or the other aside, and maybe he didn't fully understand, but what great work the Lord did in the rest of the kingdom. Well, and, I, and again, I think that that's one thing we need to know about the word of God. Sometimes God doesn't tell us those specific answers. 
But what we do know specifically is that there is a warning given to him about the judgment to come. And that's what we need to take for ourselves. Go back to that passage in 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, but is long-suffering to us. 2 Peter 2, 8, 9, and go on down through the whole chapter. But he is long-suffering to us, not willing that any, including King Nebuchadnezzar, should perish. Now, when we get to Revelation, you'll find out Babylon is mystery Babylon, and it is a vicious beast. It's a female, uh, representing commercialism and political power, and all of that bound up together, things that God does not approve of, and that is used in um, working side by side along with the Antichrist. But for us here, all we need to be aware of is the warning that God gives that there is judgment and that it will fall. But there is also a way out that we can escape it. And that's by renouncing our sin, repenting of it and coming to know the Lord. Now, I'm going to pray, and then we'll go to our small groups and, and come back, okay? Jesus, we thank you for warning us, and help us to heed the warning. Help us to know that you are the God of all gods, and you are the God of promise, and you have given us a Redeemer, and you've called us to him, and help us, Lord, to think about those who do not know you and to be bold like Daniel and tell them the truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.